Hey there. I've got kind of a holiday story for you. I thought we'd sneak it in before the year ended. You may have seen an essay or two floating around the internet this year along the lines of, if you think healthcare in Canada is worse than in the U.S., uh, I'm really sorry. I'm the guy who sold you that big, fat lie. The author is Wendell Potter, and he was in charge of communications for Cigna for a long time, for most of the 90s and oddies. And then, about a dozen years ago, he went rogue, left that job, and became a whistleblower. This year, that meant writing a couple of op-eds in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Both of them are part of my work to make amends for what I used to do for a living, which was in many cases to mislead people into thinking that we have the best healthcare system in the world. You may have an opinion about the Canadian healthcare system, and you think that way because of the work that I used to do. I talked with him last summer, and it was a super interesting conversation, but I wasn't exactly sure what to do with it or when. Like, what was the occasion? What was the lesson for right now? And then a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, Wendell Potter's story is a version of A Christmas Carol. Only when you dig in, it is messier and way more interesting. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. My name is Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like the challenge. So my job on this show is to take one of the most terrifying, enraging, depressing elements of American life and give you something entertaining, empowering, and useful. And A Christmas Carol? That is classic entertainment, man. I'm Jewish, whatever. I am a huge sucker for it. Gets me every time. I called Wendell again recently to run the Dickens angle by him. He was on board. So let's start with Wendell's visit from the ghost of Christmas past. He was visiting his parents in rural Tennessee, where he grew up, and he heard there was a pop-up free medical clinic about an hour's drive away at a county fairground. Wendell was headed over there anyway. There was a Democratic presidential candidate giving a speech that day. Wendell wanted to figure out how to spin against whatever that guy was going to say about health insurance companies. But for Wendell, the clinic turned out to be the main event. Hundreds and hundreds of people waiting in line for basic medical care, which was being administered in barns, in animal stalls. A lot of them had shown up the night before, slept in their cars, so they could be among the first in line when the clinic opened. If showed up any later than that, probably wouldn't get seen that day. And these folks, Wendell knew them. Not personally, but close enough. They were his people. They were my people that I... I could have grown up with, that I could have been related to. And I, I did realize I could have been one of them if I had just not had some lucky breaks along the way. Wendell grew up in rural Tennessee. Neither of his parents finished high school. Their families had needed them out of school and earning. Until Wendell was six, his family did not have an indoor toilet. He became the first person in his family to graduate from college. He'd worked as a newspaper reporter, covered Congress for a national chain, then took a job in PR to be closer to family in Tennessee. One thing led to another, by the early 90s, he'd started working for Cigna. After a while, he was in Philly, running the communications shop, a big, prestigious, well-paid job. His parents were proud of him. He was proud of himself. Wendell found the scene at the county fairgrounds a lot to take in. Just suddenly being confronted with people that I could have grown up with who were being treated in barns and animal stalls. You know, I'd grown up around working-class folks because that's where I come from. And I, I was certainly aware of the hardships that people face if you don't have a lot of money. It's just a, a constant thing. But I'd been away from that for so long. My mother always told me many times, Wendell, don't get above your raisin. Don't forget where you come from. But I had largely forgotten that. And this was just uh, bringing me back in a big hurry 
right back to where I came from. Yeah. The ghost of Christmas past takes Ebenezer Scrooge back to see his own past, what he was like as a kid when he wasn't mean yet. He sees how the people he grew up with, people he loved, live now, and how they see him. It's overwhelming. Then there's the ghost of Christmas present. He shows Scrooge how other people are living right now, shows him his own employee, Bob Cratchit, at home with his family, including the very sweet kid, Tiny Tim, who doesn't look so good. He's sick. Wendell's Ghost of Christmas Present is actually the filmmaker Michael Moore, who had turned documentary muckraking into a big box office proposition. Moore's movie from 2004, Fahrenheit 9-11, made more than $100 million, biggest documentary ever. Three years later, he had a new movie about the cost of healthcare called Sicko. Wendell was part of a big team across the health insurance industry to discredit the movie. He writes about it in his book to demonstrate just how huge and how coordinated the PR and lobbying arms of big healthcare are. It's impressive. There's cloak and dagger stuff. In months and months of plotting, nobody ever refers to Michael Moore by name. It's always Hollywood. You never know what an email might leak. There's secret meetings, bigwigs all around a conference table with binders of material that never get circulated electronically. They've got somebody in the audience when the movie has its premiere so he can report back so they can figure out how to spin it. As Wendell tells it, he's right in the thick of it, a total team player. Then he actually sees the movie himself. He sits in the back of a movie theater with a notebook, looking for stories about people getting screwed by Cigna in particular. I went into the theater worried about that, anticipating that. But what I saw on the screen were people telling their stories. And I, I knew those stories were not, uh, they were not unique. And I'd kind of gotten, over the course of my career, kind of hardened to them or not really seeing these folks as real-life human beings. More often than not, when I was dealing with what we referred to as high-profile stories or horror stories, I didn't have a chance to really talk to the people or see them. But Michael Moore brought them to life on the screen. How did it feel? I honestly uh, teared up because those stories were were, were heartbreaking uh, and maddening. Yeah, so he was your ghost of Christmas present showing you around. He was. He was kind of the ghost of Christmas present. Your emotional defenses melted away. You know, that's true. And it was a melting away of, of the barriers that I had erected, emotional barriers, uh, as I think most executives do. It becomes easier to say, bah humbug. Yeah, bah humbug. Finally, the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows Scrooge how things came out with Tiny Tim. The kid didn't make it. Scrooge sees the family grieving. It's heartbreaking. Wendell's Tiny Tim was a teenager named Nataline Sarkeesian. And the story takes place around Christmas time, actually. In December, Wendell gets word that Nataline needs a liver transplant or she's going to die. And Cigna is saying, nope, not going to pay for it. Actually, Wendell hears about Nataline from a reporter. Then he starts hearing from more reporters. Things get hot. And Wendell finds his own emotions heating up. This was a family. It was, it was Nataline and her family. I'm a father, and I couldn't help but imagine what it would be like for me if I were in their shoes. I mean, Wendell's own daughter was just a few years older than Natalie. He could really feel it. 
On December 20th, there's a protest scheduled outside Cigna's California headquarters. And Wendell spends the day frantically lobbying his colleagues. He actually busts into the CEO's office at one point to say, pay for the surgery already. Of course, he's not busting in saying, boss, be compassionate. He's saying, boss, the cameras are setting up outside our doors right now. He's saying the case is causing reputational damage. This is going to be damaging to the company if we don't put an end to it. And they listen to him. They okay the surgery. He starts writing press releases, getting in touch with the family, all the follow-up, damage control. He gets home. It's been a long day, and it's not over. 10 p.m., his phone rings. It's too late for surgery. Natalie is dead. Ebenezer Scrooge gets a chance to save Tiny Tim, and he does. He gives the kid's dad a raise, takes the kid under his wing, happily ever after. Wendell does not have that option. And that's one reason his story is actually more interesting than A Christmas Carol. It's not obvious what to do next or what to do after that. And it turns out the real story behind his conversion wasn't so simple either. That's in just a minute. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. Kaiser Health News is a nonprofit news service covering healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the big healthcare outfit Kaiser Permanente. They share an ancestor. We'll have more information about Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. The whole Christmas Carol view of Wendell's story is how he tells it in his book. I mean, he doesn't use the Dickens reference, but he's like, these three encounters changed me. But that's myth-making. Reading closely, he admits that as far back as the 1990s, when he was in his new job, he knew it was up, at least to some extent. At his kids' Little League games, when conversations with other parents led to the question, so what do you do? Things got uncomfortable. And he says that almost 10 years before his big conversion, he found himself looking around, saying to himself, Jesus really doesn't feel so great. And he tucks away one big thing, something he did six months before any of the three events say made him a convert, in one little paragraph. He quit drinking. He says he'd been drinking a six-pack of beer a night. I was using it to, um, to keep from thinking about things. Because thinking about things and having feelings about them was not helpful to doing his job. I learned over my career not to let anyone see how I was feeling and didn't sort of want anyone to see me sweat. It was, it was not really necessarily being human, but surviving in the corporate world. That's what you do. Otherwise, you're, you're seen as someone who's not effective, not fit for the role. Yeah. So that's the face you put on when you go into a corporate environment, at least the ones that I, were, I was involved in. The price of the ticket. Yeah, exactly. It is. And part of the way you pay that price is you're reassuring the people around you that what you're all doing is okay. And they're doing the same for you. If you're surrounded by people who kind of look like you, you're professional, good-looking, well-dressed folks who don't express any misgivings about the work. So you think, uh, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. And keeping up that performance, it took a six-pack of beer every night. And now, he says, going to Alcoholics Anonymous, which is what he did, was not just about saving his liver. I was thinking about quitting my job. I wanted to make sure I was stone cold sober as I was evaluating that. And uh, I'm extraordinarily grateful for that 
period of my life and for those who I uh, was around the, the circle in, in these rooms. So it's not one long night that makes a change. It's not even nine months when things happen to you. It's choices, one at a time, and seeing what happens next. And of course, Wendell didn't walk into the office and quit the very day after Natalie and Sarkeesian died. That took months. And when he quit, he didn't turn into a whistleblower immediately either. He went public more than a year later when Congress was considering Obamacare. That was 2009. A year after that, he published a book, Deadly Spin, that summed up his story and gave a real x-ray into how the news media and public opinion get manipulated. It's pretty good. And then what? It's been 10 years. What do you do after you do all that? And uh, actually, before you get to any of that, how do you make a living? In Wendell's case, he got some consulting contracts from foundations. That book did okay. But, oh yeah, also, what about health insurance? Lucky for Wendell's family, his wife had a job managing a Banana Republic store. And good thing she was a manager. The people she managed mostly didn't get health insurance. When she started working, it wasn't anything that she absolutely had to do. Uh, she just wanted to have a job that she enjoyed. And she enjoyed the people that she worked with and that she managed. It never occurred to us at that time that this would be uh, a lot more important to us because of, of health insurance. She kept working for Banana Republic until she and Wendell both qualified for Medicare. And Wendell, what about him? A Christmas Carol basically ends the day after Christmas. Scrooge gives Tiny Tim's dad a raise. There's two, three paragraphs of happily ever after. Wendell's had a longer haul. You quit your job, you testify in front of Congress, you write a book, and you do a big expose. Okay, what next? Wendell worked as a fellow with the center-left think tank for a while. He still does some consulting gigs. A few years ago, he started a site to publish muckraking journalism called Tarbell. And he's also made some noise recently, publishing those op-eds in the Washington Post and the New York Times. Those got him and his message a bunch of new attention. But they didn't exactly change the big picture. And in fact, he's been saying a lot of the same things for 10 years, which seems like it could get discouraging. I asked him, how do you keep going? Oh, it is hard. You have to maintain a sense of urgency, but you also have to try to not only tell yourself, but others that you've got to make a commitment for the long haul. And I, I have the benefit of really knowing how public policy is made from my corporate work, it takes a lot and a long time to get things done. And there are formidable obstacles uh, that my former employers throw up, but um, it can be done. It just takes time. And a lot of advocates I've seen are, they get very impatient. They wanna know why can't we get every Democrat signed on to the Medicare for all bill? A lot of folks just get impatient and then throw up their hands. But you've got to realize you've got to be in this for the long haul. How do you manage that? What do you draw on? This. He points at his wrist. One of the first things I noticed when we got on Zoom is that Wendell has tattoos. There's one on the inside of each wrist. One has an outline of the state of Tennessee where he was born. On the other wrist, the one he's pointing to, is the word now, which Wendell says means a couple things. One, do it now, don't wait. And the other is to, to live in the now, uh, to be present. It's a balance. Whatever you got to do, don't wait. It's urgent. And be here now, in this moment. It makes me think of the biggest piece of advice we got from Lauren Taylor, the self-defense expert I talked with last month. 
we are talking about the micro. How do you keep your cool when you're on the phone with your insurance company or somebody who's trying to squeeze you for some weird medical bill? What do you do if you're getting overwhelmed, like too mad? Lauren said, bring yourself to the right now, the here and now, the present moment. Focus on your breath or find something to focus on that brings you back to right here, right now. You're okay in this moment. And here's Wendell saying, this is the same tool he uses to keep finding his way through the big fights. And it feels like the perfect place to end this season. Especially because, remember how Wendell said it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to make change? Well, as I was putting this episode together, some news broke. You know how Congress finally got its act together and passed a COVID relief bill? Well, tucked away in there was a ban on something we've been talking about on this show for a long time, surprise medical bills. That's when you go someplace that takes your insurance, but somebody gets involved in your care, an ER doc, a radiologist, a lab that doesn't take your insurance. You get hit with a giant bill. Surprise! Happens all the time. We've done like three or four episodes where that's been a huge issue. And it's been wild to watch Congress not do anything about it because Republicans and Democrats have said they want to. And a couple times it looked like they were going to, And then they didn't. And now they have. From what I've read, it's not perfect. And I'm sure we'll find a lot more missing pieces over time. And speaking of time, this change won't even take effect until 2022. So yeah, slow. But wow, it actually changed. Like three or four episodes of this show are now out of date. Whatever, I'll record a new intro for them. And you can view this as a glass half full. Hey, an improvement or half empty. Jesus, that was hard. And it's just one of a million problems and it took forever and it's still not all the way fixed. And I say it's both. And either way, it's a reason to keep going one step at a time. We'll figure it out as we go along. Finally, speaking of keep going, This is our last episode of 2020. I've got a bunch of stories I'm excited to bring you in 2021. And I want to thank you for keeping this conversation going. Like, OMG, wow, thank you. Hundreds of you have stepped up in the last couple of months to actually pay money to keep this show going. And you may remember how I've been saying the folks at Newsmatch have promised to double your donations in November and December. Well, you've been so generous that as I was putting this episode together, we actually maxed out the amount they were set up to match. Now, you are absolutely not too late to support us. We can use all the help we can get in bringing you this show, and there may be another last-minute match. There have been lots of nice surprises in this process. But, wow, (laughs) I just want to thank the community that has formed around this show. Please take a bow. And if you haven't been in a position to pitch in financially, this also means you, just by listening letting other folks know about the show and sending me your stories. And just by hanging in there and living to fight another day, you are contributing to this community. And you are probably way ahead of me on this, but if you happen to be looking for other places to donate this year, I've got a few ideas for you. Like a group that supplies healthcare workers with personal protective equipment. Yeah, that is still a problem. And the group that ran the pop-up medical clinic that Wendell Potter saw at that county fair in Virginia. And a few other folks doing great, important work. You will find links to them wherever you are listening to this and in our newsletter. And, of course, you will also find links to armandalegshow.com slash support. Thank you so much. This has been such a rotten year. And you are showing that people are capable of stepping up in so many ways. We can do this. We'll all just keep 
doing our best, figuring things out together one step at a time. I'll see you in the new year. Stay safe. Celebrate however you can. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, and edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is from Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor. This guy, Henry J. Kaiser, he had his hands in a lot of different stuff. Aluminum, shipbuilding, concrete, like for the Hoover Dam, TV stations in Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, and Honolulu. Seriously, he died more than 50 years ago. He left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative, a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. Finally, thanks so much to some of the folks who have pitched in recently to support this show. Thanks this time to Alex Schur, Jacob Wagner, Susanna Pearson, Ellen Humble, Eric Hompe, Roberta Marie Kiley, Ryan Conloss, Michael White, Jean McGlashan, Danielle Arndt, Stacey Wolf, Cyril Sack, Whitney Steele, Susan Fahey, Stacey Ellenbass, Ethan Leinberger, Michael Gerber, Tiger Heiss, Brent, Ashley T, Carolina Gonzalez, Jean Follett and Doug Thompson, Michael Frolicksteen, Lois Heitner, Seth Goldman, Andrew Huff, Alicia Hartley, and Megan Hug. Thank you.